Welcome to Founder Radio. I'm your host, Hugo. In this podcast, you'll hear in-depth conversations with the globe's most exciting company founders. We'll talk about their ideas, their successes, their challenges, and their learnings along the way. At Founder Radio, we celebrate founders. And we believe that innovative founders are critical to deal with the challenges humans face. They are society's explorers and work in uncertainty to expand our practical knowledge each and every day. Building something from scratch requires creativity, intelligence, conviction, and endurance. Get inspired and learn from those that are changing the world. Hey everyone, welcome to Founder Radio. Today is a very exciting episode. Today we have Mark Hulshoff of Trigger, a no-code automation platform. We'll go into much more detail as to what Trigger does, but for now, it's great to have you. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Hugo. Thank you for having me. Of course. And let's dive right in and start with talking about Trigger a little bit. Could you briefly, for the audience, summarize what Trigger is and what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So Trigger is a no-code platform to automate business processes. So from a database to workflow to business logic to ultimately also a front-end, so portals, so everything that you can build with Trigger. And the funny thing is that it's absolutely no-code. So wherever you are in the platform, there's never, ever a backdoor to pull in custom code or scripting or whatsoever. And that makes it unique in the market because our approach is dedicated to true no-code. And that means that the people that work with Trigger are guided step-by-step in wizards to build their functionality Mm -hmm. and tweak it on a very detailed level, giving us the advantage to allow people with no technical background to work with Trigger and to build their applications. Got it. Very clear. No-code guarantee is what that sounds like to me. And what's your long-term vision, and I'm really thinking 10, 20 years, in terms of automation in first business, but also automation in people's personal life? What do you think will be possible many years from now? Yeah, that's an awesome question because what you see in the market, and especially in our target audience, so SMB, SME companies, so from 22 to 1,000 FTEs, we truly believe that digitalization is the core of business success on the long term. So automating things is inevitable when you want to be a profitable company. And that in combination with people that are highly skilled these days, you need to offer them tools to automate things instead of just fiddling around in spreadsheets, you know, and sending emails back and forth, because most people do have the the ideas to make it better and to improve it. And they can compare no-code tools, for example, with email. So 20 years ago, nobody had an email client on his computer. There were even no personal computers yet. So what we expect for the long term, and it's already there, though not everybody's using it yet, but that is democratizing. Mm. So more people get access to technology because it's easier to use. Mm. And that means also that that automating processes will become a a default attitude for people at companies. Mm. Instead of setting up another Excel, they will have access to multiple local tools to automate things and to connect things, right? So... It will become as easy as now you can connect your Gmail account to your Dropbox account. I mean, that's two clicks on your on your mobile phone. So things are becoming more easier and more accessible for normal people, so to say. Could you give an example, uh, yeah. uh, both in business life and in 
personal life of something that's that you think will be automatable, but that's not on people's radars yet? Due to the introduction also of AI tools in the past uh, half a year, that more people understand that it will become a realistic scenario to automate things. Though how to integrate it is something different because simply asking a prompt to an AI and get a result is one thing, but how do you incorporate this into a business process, mm -hmm. right? So it becomes interesting when people see that they can set up a tool, for example, in Trigger or in any other no-code tool. I mean, there, there are many no-code tools, but for business processes, you can use Trigger. Set up prompts in Trigger, get AI data back into your Trigger application and push it forward to the next step in the business process. And I think with this revolution that more people understand that it's possible. On the other hand, looking at the new generation, we've got a couple of partnerships in, in for example, schools, even secondary schools already, that teach no code to students of, let's say, 16, 17 years old. So there is a generation coming up that is nurtured with digital tools from a very young age. That's awesome. I'd love to see what comes out of their automations one day. And Mark, could you walk me through a very concrete case study of, of a customer of Trigger, like something that you've seen that they've built that's, that's exciting or that just works really well, saves a bunch of time, something that comes to mind that could further explain how Trigger is integrated into business processes? Yeah, absolutely, because we focus on this mid-market and what we've seen is that there is a lot of potential to automate things in SMB companies. So let me give you an example of a trader in built goods in coffee, cocoa, cotton, mm -hmm. those kind of things. So they purchase it on a worldwide scale, though with local entities. So there is an entity in Amsterdam, there's an entity in Mexico, there's an entity I know where, so they're, they're, they're all over the place. But now the idea was to consolidate all these orders into one system, which is built on trigger, mm -hmm. and then create a sort of predictable process to consolidate orders and to ship them at once instead of one by one. So that's the, the easy explanation. There's a little bit of more logic behind it. But the idea is when you consolidate all those orders and you pull in data from also the carriers, so the, the sea freight carriers on pricing and on estimated time of delivery and capacity and all those kind of things, that you can make a better decision on when and how to ship certain orders. So this company is a mid-market company, so not a big IT department with tens of people. So it's, it's a couple of guys that do have the knowledge on the process. And then there is a sort of integrator person that understands the process and, and can connect the dots and triggers simply the technology to realize it at a certain point. And this thing is an awesome example of how to improve margins in a traditional business rather quickly. So was this something they just didn't do before or does Trigger then replace the manual work of adding these orders up? So previously, the country organizations were working independently. So there was no consolidation between countries. That's one. And second, indeed, scheduling all the shipments order, shipment orders was also done manually. So it's two things. So it's automating the process as much as you can. So of course, sometimes there is something that needs attention which can be called management by exception. So when something needs attention, it will be put on a list or there will be an alert or something like that. And then people can look into it. But when it's a straightforward process, then you can automate it from A to Z with Trigger. Uh, so it's automation. And then second, when you try to, to collect the data from multiple entities within one group and combine it, that's absolutely also something new to do before. 
That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. That's a really good example. Very simple question, a complicated answer I'm expecting. Like, how did you build it? How could you walk us through the journey of like the very first cobbling together of an MPV of Trigger, MVP of Trigger, up to all the way where you are now with these kinds of applications up and running? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it was that was quite a journey. And it was say. a ten-year journey, right, for the audience to, yeah. to understand. Yeah, it's true. So the idea of Trigger wasn't indeed. I think the inception of the idea was ten years ago. And then back in the days, we were an ordinary software company, so developing software, custom software, case by case, project by project. And then at some point, we thought, yeah. There has to be a way to make it easier because we were doing the same time of projects. So it was business logic, portals, web applications. And then at that time, there was a concept which was called rapid application development, which is now called local development. So it's a sort of evolution, but it was still focused on code. And we thought, what could be the next level? So can you get rid of the code? Can you create a sort of extra layer on top of it, which perhaps decreases the functionality because you're not that flexible anymore but it increases the speed of development and also it unlocks a new group of people that can work with it and yeah we simply at that time freed up time from our lead developer to create a sort of concept and i have to say it was a brilliant guy but when my co-founder jesse explained the idea to him he was a little bit confused because it was never been done he has never seen such a thing at that time but he said okay i will work on it and that was already a step for us because freeing up one FTE of billable people back in the days because we were invoicing for hours. So it, it was already a sort of investment that we made. And then he came back to us with a concept and it worked. And then we thought, okay, this could be something. And it was way before the, the no-code category of software was invented. So we had no idea how it could look like in the future. But we thought, okay, this could be something. We were running a company, so it was not that we were in an attic building a concept or something. There was a, it was a running business. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, let's try to pivot the business ultimately into a platform business instead of a consultancy or a project business. And yeah, at that point, we thought, okay, let's get rid of as much as we can the professional services side. And I think after a couple of years, this pivot was realized and there was a first version of Trigger. So it was... A minimal viable product, let's put it like that. Of course, we were really happy with this MVP because it could do something. Though it was not easy to learn and it still requires a lot of consultancy to implement it. We were always working together with customers. So we decided to find some launching customers, first of all. And we found them, started implementation, started releasing it. Of course, stumbled on a lot of issues, which we were fixed on the fly. They went live. And then I think after... Or five years after the inception, we thought, okay, no code could be absolutely something to invest more heavily in. But it means that we need to build it again, a better version. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. So the development team was now completely freed up for Trigger and for the platform. We completely redid the designer. So the approach of how to build software with Trigger was redone. And then I think in 2020, 2021, we considered it good enough to release it to the public. From, I think, 2021 on, it's possible to create a free account on Trigger and, mm-hmm. and to start the onboarding, including the e-learning and all the, the aspects that you need to onboard new users into a platform. And at the same moment, we also decided to start with a partner network, basically, mm-hmm. because 
what you see in this SMB, SME market is that entrepreneurs or, or business owners, managers, they see the potential of automation, but they need a guide next to them to guide them into this digital journey. And that, that comes with consultancy after all. And it's not only building the application, but it's also redesigning the process. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, integrating it with a financial bookkeeping software or with an ERP or yeah. any other software out there. And therefore, this partner network is brought in place. Currently, I think with over 25 partners worldwide that support our customers. And it also for us means that we can focus on the technology. So most of the people at Trigger are focused on the products, which is the technology, but also the learning and the documentation and everything next to it that you need to run this product, the infrastructure, for example. And it's a continuous journey, though the most important thing with this new version was the concept. Because you can look at application development or platform development like it's a quadrant. And this quadrant has two axes. So one axis is the, the axis of the functionality, so what, what you can do with the platform. And the other axis is how easy to use it is. And if you see this quadrant in front of you, mm-hmm. then you can have a movement that says, okay, I'm going to add functionality over time. That's okay. But what you cannot do is make it easier and decrease functionality because then you would not be backwards compatible. So we thought the concept of ease of use, that's the most important thing that we need to focus on and then deploy a concept where we can add new functionality within that ease of use concept later on, instead of the other way around, making it very functional, but not easy enough. Because the other way around is... I would say impossible. You're going to get a lot of angry customers. I, I <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Mark, you talked about that pivot and you, I think you made it sound too easy, almost as if it was like at one point in time. But I imagine that at one point you had this IT business, traditional as you call it, like working one-on-one projects. And you had this idea, like very high in the sky, conceptually brilliant, but at a time where low-code was not a thing. Can you imagine not a lot of people were already sharing the idea? And the business was your oxygen. So how did you balance sort of moving over to focusing on the no-code company that would become Trigger versus running the business that was your income and that was what you were doing at the time? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I have to say that luckily, Jesse and I were never get used on being self-employed entrepreneurs where we considered our revenue as our income. As an entrepreneur, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. because if you consider all the revenue that you earn on, on the hours that you make as your income, then it's really difficult to free up money to spend it on an investment in technology and spend it on, on people on your payroll. Sure outcome, because you never know if it, whether it ends up with a good concept or whether the time and the money is wasted on mm-hmm. something that, that doesn't work. So we always had the mindset of building a company and pretty Prior to the project, we both had other adventures in product software. And we know by, by heart that we're product guys. So we thought, okay, we will set up something. We know that we want to build another product and to get there just to cover it and to bridge the two ideas, so to say, we will do some projects. That was always from day one a mindset. And, and this mindset is crucial in this early stage of a company because it's not about earning as much money. Of course, you need to have your bread and butter for sure. But if you ultimately want to change something in the world and, and change something and bring a product to life, yeah, then also you need to be willing to not make that much money that you 
potentially could make as a self-employed professional in the IT business or with a small group of professionals. And I think that's an important aspect. Then we saw that the, the potential trigger was there, that we also got a seed investor on board to leverage the budget that we got from the project with some external budget to increase the development team, basically. Yeah, and then slowly moved to the subscriptions, first of all, with customers that were able to purchase the more enterprise-priced accounts, let's put it like that, mm-hmm. because today we've applied a pricing model which is accessible for all kinds of companies. In the early stage, yeah, we tried to find the larger customers that could purchase significant subscriptions, obviously. And yeah, to emphasize that strategy a little bit, uh, you can compare it to the way Tesla did it, for example. So first of all, there was the Roadster, which was accessible for, for the happy few, so to say. Then the Model S came for a larger group, but still not for everyone. And then they introduced the Model 3, which was accessible for many more people. And yeah, for Trigger, this, the same approach was there. So the, the first version of Trigger were optimized product, just as the Roadster. It was useful, and the, the customers supported the idea of Trigger. So they were realigned on the purpose of what we were doing and were willing to, to pay for it. Then the next version came out, which was a little bit less expensive. And now it's affordable for everyone. So that, that was basically our approach. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. And how does Trigger compare to Mendix, Mark? And, and for those listening, Mendix is, I think, one of the big no-code successes in Europe, developed for over a long time and eventually sold to Siemens for 700 million euros. Is that a good comparison at all? What do you think of the technology? How does it compare when it comes to the customers you're serving? And what are your other observations when you compare the two companies? That's a really nice one. And I have to say that they absolutely paved the road for low code in the Netherlands. Though the comparison, I think the only comparison with Mendix and Trigger is that the output eventually is a business application. The approach of how you build it is totally different. Mm. And I don't know the technology. I cannot compare. The only thing that I see in the market is that it's more focused on IT departments and it has more an enterprise focus, which we totally not have. So the difference between the two platforms, as far as I understand them, is that it's it's possible to customize code or scripting or on a very detailed level in most of the local tools, also Mendix. And with Trigger, it's a closed system. So there, it, it's not possible to do it. So it's all guided by the wizards. So whatever Trigger offers you, it's possible to do it. And when it's not in Trigger, yeah, it's not possible to make it. And, and that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And looking at the target audiences, then the IT departments who usually purchase local tools want to have the flexibility to pull in all their custom ideas where we are focusing, not on the, the tech people, but more the functional people and say, okay, I just want to automate this process. It's a couple of clicks. I need some data. Perhaps I need to pull in data via the API. Therefore, they sometimes rely on their consultant from the partner. And that's it. So the use cases are less technical. That's one. The people who are using it, who are using Trigger, are less technical than low-code users. And the target audience is different. I have to say we do have a couple of enterprise customers. Though most of the customers are SMEs, a couple of them perhaps departments from enterprises. That's a huge difference. Moreover, what you see with low-code development is that it still relies heavily on, on those tech people, which is an issue as well, because finding technical 
people for the company is really difficult. So the purpose behind Trigger is also to increase the pool of people that can actually contribute to the digital transformation without having this technical knowledge. Yeah. Have, have you ever, I mean, this is a hard question to answer, but have you ever thought about by how much you increase the pool of people able to build certain functionalities? Like you might be 100xing that pool of people by not requiring coding skills. And it might be even more. Like, have you ever yeah. tried to yeah, yeah, estimate that number? Yeah, absolutely. Because we did a lot of research on this. Mm-hmm. And on average, you see that 2% of the, the, let's say, the labor population is able to code. Mm-hmm. Based on our research, we believe that 20 to 25% of the people are able to think in a process and understand what the process is and would be their own process where they're in and are able to describe it and perhaps to find improvements. Wow. Okay. So 2% to 25% yeah. increase. Uh, That's the assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That's super interesting. And Mark, I, if I'm not mistaken, I saw that you have an integration with Zapier as well. Could you explain what Zapier is, why you built that integration, and what that unlocks for users of Trigger? Yeah, it's an integration platform. So many applications, apps out there are on Zapier, and Trigger is also on Zapier. And what it means is that you literally, with a couple of clicks, can connect apps with each other. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing of Trigger is that your custom application will be on Zapier. So whether you build, I don't know, an order management tool or a ordering tool, as I just described, mm-hmm. you can connect it via Zapier to something else. And yeah, for example, also, so Microsoft Teams is on Zapier. So in the example of the C-Freight orders, you can imagine that when something happens with, a, with an order, that you want to push this message to Teams and put it into a team where the order managers are allocated and simply say, hey, this order needs your attention and it needs your attention right now. You know, So it, that could be an integration built with Zapier. And it's the easiest and the quickest way to connect applications with each other. And there are many use cases that you can also connect it to message services, right? Where you send an SMS to, to a person via Zapier, mm-hmm. connect it. So, for Trigger, it's an enormous addition of functionality. And we truly believe that well, Trigger is never a standalone. There's always something else that you use within a company, whether it's Teams or whether it's an ERP or whether it's, I don't know what, a printing software. All these kind of things are on Zapier. And yeah, it's the easiest way to set it up. Though, it, of course, it comes with a price. So, you need two platforms next to each other when that would not fit the business case of the customer, you can always use the direct API of Trigger and connect it directly with other tools. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that it requires a little bit more time. Okay. So yeah. we advise to our partners and customers is you can set it up with Zapier just to test whether the business case or the use case is functional for you. When it is, then you can migrate the integration easily to the direct API and in that way lower the, the, the costs. Yeah, yeah and reduce the number of software platforms to one that you're using for yeah. your automation. Okay. Exactly. And are there any consumer applications for Zapier that are very obvious that you might be already using that you see people use? I'm super intrigued with, and I'd love more automation in my life. I'm a lazy man, but I don't have any up and running currently. Like, Could you speak hmm. a little bit about what consumers could automate in their personal life with the tools that are available nowadays? 
Ooh, that's a difficult question, I have to say, because perhaps I'm a little bit biased by just being on business process automation and, and not really looking at personal automations. Though the most obvious one with Zapier, for example, is that you connect it to your Gmail account and do something with certain emails. So what I, just from my personal life, can imagine is when you get invoices in your Gmail account, and those are also business invoices because, yeah, that needs to need attention immediately put, pull them out, the attachments, put them into a, a Dropbox storage where you can easily pull them out when you need to uh, do your, your finances. And what about like messaging, for example, or email sending? Could all of that be automated as well? If you create a sort of automated anniversary calendar and automate messaging to your friends connected to social media, yeah, there, there are many things that you can do. From a personal automation, I, yeah, I'm so much focused on business process that I even have no idea what to automate for my personal life other than, I don't know, something finance other than that. Yeah. Got it. No, I mean, obviously the impact will be bigger in business applications, but the number of people that could use it grows with a lot when you think of consumer applications as well. So it's that's true. Possible. It, it, that's absolutely true. And absolutely when you make it fun. So therefore we focused on this student approach. And I have to say that we also go live in the UK with a partner that will set up a, a both an AI training with Trigger, so how to get, integrate AIs in, into Trigger and building applications with Trigger. So it, it's a combined one. And yeah, they are targeting, I think, mostly millennials. So perhaps just graduated with the ideas to build stuff and integrate stuff. And yeah, there's so many use cases that you can do. So it's making the technology accessible for as many people. And then the ideas will follow, I'm sure of that. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. And Mark, when we zoom out a little bit and look at the company and look at your vision where you want to go, like, could you paint a picture of where you want to take the company and what phase you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the last question. So since we spent so much time on making Trigger a scalable platform, so not only the platform, but also the company, we are now literally at the moment where we can scale it up. So already active in multiple countries with 25 plus and counting partners that the only constraint that we currently encounter is how can we reach as many people as we like? And how can you onboard them in the most fancy fun and quick way uh, because business application building in the end should be fun. It should not be boring. It should be fun. And that's what we focused on also with the concept of designing your software in Trigger, doing it step by step and assuring that you make the right choices makes it fun because the idea of the Trigger Wizards, let me elaborate a little bit on that to understand it, is that it's every wizard step offers you one or two options. That means that the chance that you take the right decision in a wizard step is 50%. That's quite high. And by doing things right, it will become fun. You like what you do, you want to do that more often. So that's on the background, the idea of, of the onboarding. That means that as a trigger, as a company, we believe that we can support many SMB companies in their digital journey together with the partners because sometimes they simply need that guide to make the step forward but also establish more affiliate partnerships with learning partners, so with universities, high schools. And that's not limited to any country, so that can be anywhere. That's the scalability that we were looking for at Trigger. We're now at the point where we can do it. 
literally means that it's that it that we've got a, a of course an ambition to release this globally though step by step because we're now in a couple of countries active and you see that it always takes time to adapt to the local wording around digital transformation especially in europe you need the language support which you currently have with people from spain and, and now also from germany then, then that is starting this month and then do it step by step but still be a fun company to work because you know Hugo, the, the, the company dna is incredibly important to us so that means that every hire should fit into the team hiring is a team effort in my opinion and even if we grow to from 20 to 40 people the dna should be the same and it should be fun to work at trigger and, and you mentioned that team building and culture is very much on your mind What's your approach so far? I'm sure you've you've thought a lot about this, tried different things. Like, how do you think about that journey now? How do you make sure that the culture, maybe what's the culture now? How do you make sure it stays that way or improves in the direction that you'd like to see? Yeah, it's, of course, partly organic, but we talked a lot about it, Jesse and I, in, in the past years. And I think one of the biggest drivers of the current culture is influence of people. So we're all professionals. We have our own ideas and, and we guide people. But the most important thing is that we create a culture where people are willing to bring in their own ideas and to try out things. Some things will go right. There will always be things that go wrong, but it's, it, that's not a big deal. Well, things will go wrong. The question is, how do you deal with it? Can you improve it? Can we learn from it? Giving people influence and responsibility and eventually also accountable, making them accountable for what they do is incredibly important for, for culture. Then also aligning everyone on the purpose of Trigger. We're not just here to be a company. I mean, that is fun, though we're here with a, with a reason. That's an important thing. Being very open and transparent on what you do. Get rid of bureaucracy as much as we can. So I think with, with just 20 people, it, it's easy. But how do you do it with 40 or 50 or 100? I don't know. Perhaps we, we need a little bit more. But on the other hand, I think self-organizing teams could do a lot themselves if you give them the, the responsibility. But yeah, this influence is incredibly important also for the development team. I mean, it has to feel like they own a piece of the platform and be responsible for it, mm-hmm. bringing ideas and making it possible to realize their ideas. And especially for developers, they, yeah, they really like to contribute to a product instead of contribute to a project because this is a long-term engagement on making the product better instead of a short-term project where it has to be delivered on time and where their hours are basically the products, so to say. And you've mentioned your co-founder, Jesse, a couple of times. I think in a previous venture, you also worked together. Could you talk a little bit about what makes your partnership a success and what would you recommend others that are at the very beginning of that journey are thinking of who should I partner up with and they're looking for a co-founder? Yeah. I think that the the success of our cooperation is that we both take a lot of accountability for the things that we focus on. So uh, Jesse on the technology, on the products, on the go-to-market, the marketing, everything like that. And we're both different. So Jesse's more of the tech guy, I think, within Trigger, where I'm more focused on the business commercial side. And I have to say, we had a lot of discussions from time to time in the early days of Trigger because... Mm-hmm. As a commercial guy, you always want to sell. So when a customer comes in and says, yeah, I really like the product, but I definitely need this feature. You can imagine that I get back to yes and said, well, we can do this deal, but then you need to implement this and this. And then he said, yeah, but we're not going to do it. We're going to stick. 
the vision of trigger. And those discussions were sometimes really hard, but I have to say he was totally right because now it gives the advantage. Mm-hmm. But we were able to have these discussions, tough discussions, and then always find each other on the long-term purpose. And he steps in where I step out. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's really important. It's, in terms of finding a co-founder, it, it was not necessarily that, that I was looking for a co-founder, but we stumbled on each other by sort of coincidence. And we had a sort of the same feeling of what we want to achieve in life, I think. Both really committed, honest. That's how that evolves. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, does it make sense to summarize that as saying, make sure that you're very aligned on where you want to go. Be like, have discussions, but be very open when you have them. And also it sounds like you both have a very clear focus. Like you're not trying to meddle in the technical aspects of, for example, the product development and and maybe not the other way around as well. Does that make sense as a recap? Yeah, we absolutely have our own focus within Trigger. Align that, of course, now together with the management team. And when there isn't, let's say there is something that we need to decide on. And when it comes to the technology of the product and we've got a different vision, then Jesse decides on the product because it's he's eventually responsible for making that product a success. When it comes to to go to market, partnerships or whatsoever, then then I will be the one who, who makes the ultimate decision. And yeah, I think we this works quite well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate a bit on that? And like where did your ambition and that idea come from? And why do you think like you had that and, and others not so much and take a completely different path in life? Yeah. I think the most significant aspect of this is that we both wanted to achieve something cool and have the attitude to actually phrase it to accept challenges that are difficult Mm -hmm. right we find fun in doing difficult things and exploring it instead of choosing the easy way you know Mm -hmm. and entrepreneuring is after all solving problems it's only about solving problems and then when you have solved one you stumble on the next one but you have to find fun in solving problems. And of course, when starting a company, you create a lot of problems as well, but also the willingness or the ambition to to stand out and to, to achieve something significant, which is not easy, but we both consider it as fun to work on it. So it's not the goal as such, it's do you like the journey? Mm-hmm. And you absolutely need to like the journey of entrepreneuring because otherwise you're having a really hard time because... <laughs> Reaching the goal is so incredibly difficult that you should join and like the journey. That's the thing. So we liked it. And of course, not always. But yeah, there was a huge commitment on on this. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, for you, Mark, where did both that ambition and the love of the challenges come from? Is that, do you have particular heroes? Is it an experience early in your life? Is it something you heard or read or saw? Like, could you point to where that comes from for you personally? Ooh. Well, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family, so I definitely think that has something to do with it because, yeah, from a really young age on, with a very strong feeling of autonomy. So, yeah, I think the entire family has brought a lot of entrepreneurs. There is something, I don't know, in this family that desires autonomy instead of, working into a company with people who tell you what to do. And then also because I started 
with my first company at the age of 19, you not really know what you're starting off. It was an idea, you step into something, and then the journey begins. And then when it's fun, you want more of it. But you also need to be able to deal with the downside. And it was something that I had to learn. So at some point, you'd learn the hard way that entrepreneuring could be difficult. And I got some really good mentors along the way that supported me in this journey. And then at some point, if you narrow it down to what makes it the most fun is continuously learning and making yourself better. So whenever I know the trick, so to say, I'm looking for the next one. And that's also my character, I think. Growing new things, learning new things, making yourself better, challenging yourself instead of accepting the status quo and yeah, accepting that it is what it is. Sure. And, and um, who do you turn to for advice now? You, you already mentioned mentors. Are there specific things that you seek their advice for? Or is it more sort of casual that you check, they, they have their observations or their recommendations? How do you do that? Well, let me tell you a, a story of my early days as an entrepreneur, because this was so cool to see. So it was in my first venture, with, and together with a business partner, we had a pitch at a media a newspaper organization to purchase the product. Totally didn't understand the product. It was against it. It would never work. So it was a lot of negativity. And then my business partner, who was more mature than I was at the time, he totally turned the table. Uh, he was asking other questions. He was saying different things. And then after half an hour, this guy was turned into a sort of positive advocate of the idea instead of against it. And we were driving back and I said, what was happening on that table? After 10, 15 minutes, I was ready to go because I thought, okay, this no, it will never going to work. And then he said, yeah, this requires also a lot of training from my side as well. And then he connected me with his, with his coach on this, which was more, there's a technology, I think it's called NLP. Programming, uh, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it was an NLP coach and we started some sessions and it was true eye-opener to me. It was amazing. So I started practicing different situations with customers or with investors or with employees, never mind, but how you can change the situation to your advantage by more understanding what they feel as well. So that required a lot of training and exercise, helped me to eventually get the outcome of a session that you want where everybody's happy and you can shake hands and move forward instead of, I don't know, getting stuck halfway to meeting. And, okay, this is never going to work anymore for, <clears throat> for both of us. So that, that was one really significant change in how I approach things. Yeah. Could you dive deeper into NLP? Like how, what's the premise of that approach and, and what would a, a training look like? Yeah. Well, imagine that you're on the table with a customer and then the trick, as I call it, is try to imagine what he is thinking on the other side of the table about you, but also as a sort of fly on the wall, watch what is happening between you guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, So it's you, it's the other person, and it's what's happening in the room. And if you understand this, feel what's going on, you perhaps say different things and do other things. Um, you get out of your own... Um, yeah, mind as well. If you pretend to be a fly on the wall, I can imagine that's very powerful as well. Yeah. And are there other concepts or other aha moments that you had along the journey like this one? 
for my personal development, I'm not. I think this was one of the biggest. Though it has something to do with the also with the organizational culture as well. But you can imagine that as a founder or as a co-founder in my in my case, and it's often said that you that it's lonely at the top. Let's put it like this. And the question is, how do you share the difficulties as an entrepreneur, or founder, or CEO with your team? And back in the days, at the beginning of Trigger, I tried to keep it all very closed. So the difficulties, I was not able to talk with, about the difficulties with the team. And at some point, I had a different coach, had some sessions about this topic. And it has a lot to do with vulnerability, I would say. It's always difficult for leaders to be vulnerable on the things that they are perhaps scared about or they're anxious about or when they are unsecure about things. But this, this making it more vulnerable and open up to the team was, for me at least, it was a complete eye-opener because I could be really stressed about the things that were going not in the direction as I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I tried to fix it all by myself. But making it transparent and being vulnerable on these kind of things, it decreased the level of stress immediately, I would say. Because now people could contribute to it and say, yeah, okay, yeah, it's good to know. And what can we do to improve it? In the early days of Trigger, we started with this first seed funding round, for example. And at some point we thought, okay, this is going through. And it, it eventually did. But the time that it took to get the deal done took much longer than we thought. And eventually it was a deal in a couple of phases. So I think in the first phase, we didn't share anything about this fundraising at all. So it was just the founders that were doing the fundraising and the team was not involved, not informed, and they knew nothing about it. But nowadays, it's way more transparent how the funding of the company is organized, first of all. It also comes with bigger customer deals, so it, it's all transparent. And that makes it much easier because, yeah, if the difficulties are shared with the team, you do not feel that you keep it for yourself or keep it as a sort of secret that is not required to share with people. So making it transparent, the level of stress, I think, for founders, first of all. And in the same go, it also increases the loyalty, I think, of people to the company mm -hmm. because they also want success after all. They're not here. They can work anywhere. So they're not a trigger just for their salary. They're here to, to contribute to something. They're part of a movement, so to say. And yeah, I think I had to understand this before I could implement it. And talking about these difficult things and the difficulties that you, that you experience as an entrepreneur are inevitable to share them with the team. But it was absolutely something I had to learn. Can you imagine? Yeah, but awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And when we zoom out again, and, and when we think about the journey of, of being an entrepreneur and, and, and building a business, what do you think the most common misconceptions are about that? What strikes you most? Like, what are the things you think are thought and said about that journey that are just not accurate and that you'd love to, to talk about and, and, and yeah. correct, so to say? Well, as an entrepreneur, there are lots of things that you must do and, and lots of things you shouldn't do and all together. But after all, especially when, you, when you're an entrepreneur, you're also responsible for your team, for the people that, that work with you and are willing to spend time with you. <laughs> it's their precious time on your company. And that feels like a high responsibility to me. I mean, all the people that we have are all very well educated. They can work anywhere in the world for any company that they like. 
perhaps for much more that, that we can offer as a scale-up company. And they still choose to be a trigger. And that's great. It also comes with responsibility. And that's a difficulty that you have to, to manage as an entrepreneur. It's not just a fun. Salaries should be paid on time every month. I don't think that everybody can deal with this. So that's one. Many people think as an entrepreneur, you've got a lot of freedom and you can do whatever you like. At some point, that's true. But after all, you're accountable for what's happening. So when things go right, you're accountable. When things are not going right, you're also accountable. And then it's becoming a problem. So living day to day with this accountability is something that that perhaps is underestimated or people simply don't know. I mean, if you've never been in this situation, I've got people that I know quite well, friends, and, and if you never be in the situation of being accountable this way, also for your investors and other stakeholders, also for customers. I mean, many customers rely on Trigger mm-hmm. for their day-to-day operations, so it has to be good. So what do you need so, like in terms of a psychological layout? What do you think are key traits that you need to cope with all that? Well, you have to be persuasive, consistent, but also embracing a sort of embracing the unknown. I'm not sure about how to mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense, yeah. qualify this, but embracing the unknown, embracing, that's, I think, one of the most important things. And if you want a clear path until your pension, <laughs> don't become an entrepreneur because that's not how it works. So if you're more adventurous and if you're open to different paths and see what life has to bring for you, then you're able to embrace this even in your personal life, because everybody has got a mortgage or wants one and all these liabilities, you have to embrace what you do not know yet. Beautiful. Well well put. As we wrap up, Mark, are there any last thoughts or remarks or comments or anything you want to share? In terms of entrepreneuring, if you're able to embrace this, in this, in the, then I think it could be an epiphany for many people. Whether you start at the age of 20 or at 40 or I know at 60, I think many people that eventually start with being an entrepreneur or even start as a self-employed professional, I think truly benefit from it because it gives you so much more. It's so much more rewarding. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the word I was mm-hmm. looking for mm-hmm. because what you do impacts for yourself immediately. If you're in a, in a bigger organization, it's harder to see the, the direct impact of what you do. So. After all, entrepreneuring is the best thing I've ever did. And I cannot imagine any other thing to do than being an entrepreneur because it's also the the way of life. But you have to be honest to yourself and see what you have to learn. And yeah, that's that, that makes it a lot of fun. Awesome. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us, for our openness and telling us about the Trigger's journey your own learnings along the way. Very much appreciate you being here and hope to see you next one. Yeah, thank you so much, Hugo. Thanks for the questions and um, talk to you next time. Thank you.